You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. It is Wednesday, August 12th, and here's your coronavirus tip of the day. Gyms are still closed. So if you're looking for exercise, just do what my upstairs neighbors do and jump rope at five o'clock in the goddamn morning! Yeah, but seriously, apparently it's a great cardio workout. Anyway, on tonight's episode, Kamala Harris's secrets are revealed. Jabuki Young White tries to get the vaccine and how your iPhone could give you corona. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's begin with another important story about race in America. Now, this is a story all about how one young man's life got flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you about how this man became the prince of a town called Bel Air. Now, if you're saying, hey, Trevor, come on, that's a sitcom, no. It's deadly serious. And the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is getting a dramatic makeover. You're going to Bel-Air to live with your uncle and your auntie. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Will Smith is teaming up with Morgan Cooper (laughs) to create a new show based on Cooper's viral YouTube trailer uh, he created last year that reimagines the beloved 1990s comedy as a modern-day drama. Smith is on board to produce, and Cooper will uh, co-write and direct the reboot. Okay, I'm gonna be honest. I don't know how to feel about this, Because yes, the trailer looks amazing, but that's just the trailer. I'm worried there's a lot of other moments from the original show that might not work in a drama. I don't care what you say, there is no way to make Carlton's dancing dramatic. And I know this because we've tried. You see? Plus, I would argue that the original Fresh Prince already had a lot of drama. I mean, Carlton had a pregnancy scare, Jeffrey almost got deported, and overnight, they switched dark-skinned Aunt Viv for light-skinned Aunt Viv. That shit was traumatic as hell. But look, I get it. Hollywood is experiencing a lot of success with dramatic, gritty reboots. You know, Joker, Riverdale, so Fresh Prince makes sense. In fact, I'm not gonna complain. I'm gonna cash in on this. I'm pitching my own dramatic reboot of SpongeBob SquarePants. Do you know why I live in a pineapple under the sea? Why, SpongeBob? Cause a mango killed my father! Let's move on now from the world of fiction to a story you'll wish wasn't real. Congress is about to get even crazier. In Georgia, far-right GOP candidate Marjorie Taylor Greene has won her primary. She has ties with QAnon, an online conspiracy theory group that the FBI labeled a potential domestic terrorism threat. The businesswoman's come under fire for making racist, anti-Semitic, and anti-Muslim comments. She's also listed on the Southern Poverty Law Center's Hate Watch. She's been endorsed by a man with ties to local white supremacists. And she's a believer in the QAnon conspiracy theory that centers on a person who posts his Q, claims to have inside knowledge of the president quietly leading a revolution against the, quote, deep state, and everyone's gonna be put in jail. That's right. A QAnon conspiracy theorist is about to become a member of Congress. And if you're wondering, what's QAnon? 
Well, it's a movement that believes that Hollywood and the Democratic Party are actually a secret worldwide child sex trafficking ring whose members harvest the blood of children for its life-extending properties, and that the only person protecting the world from this evil is Donald Trump. So, let me get this straight. On the one hand, the Democratic Party is so smart and powerful that they can run a secret shadow organization. <laughs> but they're also stupid enough to be outsmarted by Donald Trump. Also, Donald Trump was BFFs with Jeffrey Epstein, AKA the white R. Kelly. So how the hell is he gonna protect something that he's a part of? I mean, that's like Cardi B trying to protect the world from people who make bird sounds. And another dumb thing about this conspiracy, why would any sane adult think that drinking children's blood could have the power to make you younger? Guys, everyone knows you can only get younger by drinking the blood of Paul Rudd. Rudd blood, the secret to having an adult baby face forever. Rudd blood. In other news, New York City has successfully managed to get its coronavirus infection rate down to just 1%. And now they're asking Tim Apple to help them keep it that way. New York City's transit agency is asking Apple to help slow the spread of the coronavirus on subways and buses. So the agency wants the high-tech giant to create a face ID that works with face masks. The goal is to let people unlock their iPhones without having to remove their masks. New York State requires masks on public transportation, but the agency says people are violating the rule to access their phones. You know, sometimes I think technology is the greatest thing that ever happened to humans. And sometimes I think it's just gonna set us back because instead of just typing in the four digit passcode, people are taking off their masks so that the phone can see their face, which to me seems like more work. Honestly, at this point, I'm just surprised people's phones still recognize them. I mean, this is what I looked like pre-quarantine and this is me now. Look at me. I look like my own evil nappy twin. And by the way, people, why are you staring at your phone while you're in the subway? That is dangerous, you gotta stay alert. You never know who's gonna come onto the train and steal your belongings or your heart. By the way, if you're a beautiful woman with brown hair who was on the E train at 5.30 PM yesterday, give me my stuff back, I know it was you. Now beyond the Fresh Prince, QAnon and MTA, there's one major story that's got everyone buzzing. Kamala Harris, vice presidential candidate and woman Joe Biden is gonna call homegirl in less than three weeks. After it was announced that she would be Biden's running mate, many people were celebrating the historic milestone of having a black and South Asian woman on a major party ticket. Although as you might expect, President Trump had a slightly different take. Reaction was quick at the White House where President Trump used his daily coronavirus briefing to bash Biden's choice. She was extraordinarily nasty to uh, Kavanaugh, Judge Kavanaugh then, now Justice Kavanaugh. I thought she was the meanest, uh, the, the most horrible, most disrespectful of anybody in the U.S. Senate. Despite claiming he wanted Biden to pick Harris, President Trump says he's surprised Biden actually did after that heated primary debate. She was probably nastier than even Pocahontas to Joe Biden. She was very disrespectful to Joe Biden. She said things during the debates, during the Democrat primary debates that were horrible about Sleepy Joe. And uh, I would think that he wouldn't have picked. Yeah, she was so horrible to Sleepy Joe. And that loser deserves so much more respect than that. Like is Trump attacking or defending Joe Biden? I can't tell. 
You know, I thought this election would be Trump versus Joe Biden. Now I think we could just lock Trump in a room and let him hash it out by himself. What did me say to me? Me heard me. I mean, of all people, Donald Trump should totally understand how you can be with a woman who's publicly humiliated you. He also shouldn't be surprised that past enemies can become your friends. I mean, look who he's been working with. Ted Cruz, who called him a pathological liar and a narcissist. Lindsey Graham, who said he was a bigot and a nut job who was destroying the Republican Party. Marco Rubio, who called him a con artist and said he had a small dick. And of course, Jared Kushner, who selfishly married the love of Trump's life. That's right, man, we ain't never gonna forget. If anything, Kamala Harris on the ticket with Joe Biden is a genius move by the former VP. Because not only does she tick a bunch of boxes, but clearly conservatives are gonna struggle to put her in one. Joe Biden is running on the most radical platform of any candidate from any major party in U.S. history. Now with the most radical running mate ever. She doesn't really have core beliefs. Her record as attorney general is absolutely abysmal by fighting to keep inmates locked up in overcrowded prisons. As a prosecutor in San Francisco, oh, San Francisco, she allowed, well, scores of violent criminals to walk free. Did you know that Kamala Harris has a higher rating uh, from the police association in 2019 than from the ACLU. She is soft on crime. She is no friend of the police. Harris clearly wasn't picked for her personal charm. She's very telegenic. I get yeah. that the media will say she's very hip. I think that this, the pick was, was somewhat surprising. I think it was uh, a kind of a boring pick. I think everybody was expecting Biden to pick Kamala. Oh man, poor Republicans, they're so confused. Kamala is like their version of that green needle brainstorm meme. Honestly, it's kind of cute watching Republicans flail around, trying to figure out the right talking points. You know, it's like when a litter of puppies is born, but they haven't opened their eyes yet. And look, they better figure this shit out soon or else their attack ads are gonna be really unconvincing. Joe Biden has picked Kamala Harris, but who is Kamala Harris? She hates the police. Except for the times that she loves the police. She's also soft on drug crime, but is too tough on drug crime sometimes. She's black, but also Indian. Is that even allowed? Kamala Harris. We haven't decided why she's bad yet, but we already paid for this ad. I'm Donald Trump and I'm confused by this message. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll tell you everything you need to know about Kamala Harris, the person, the politician, and the chef. Stick around. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Let's talk about the vice president, AKA the world's most prestigious hype man. Now that Kamala Harris is one step away from getting that job, a lot of people are starting to wonder, who is Kamala Harris? And how did she get where she is today? Well, let's find out in our ongoing political segment, Getting to Know Them. Most of us are familiar with Kamala Harris, the senator and presidential candidate. But you may be surprised to find out that like many of us, she started out as a child. She's the daughter of immigrants, a father from Jamaica and a mother from Southern India. 
both active in the civil rights era. Harris was part of the second class to integrate Berkeley, California public schools. She did her undergrad at Howard, which makes her the first historically black colleges and universities grad on a major ticket. Harris is passionate about cooking. In fact, people in the LA area may have heard Harris calling into cooking shows. My entire childhood was pretty much spent in the kitchen. As this roasts, this is all gonna just get fragrant. Bring it around the legs. Tie that little bad boy up. <laughs> There's our <That's> chicken! <laughs> yes, the daughter of immigrants, an HBCU graduate, and on top of it all, a pretty damn good cook. Which means if she wins, that's gonna be a really big change for the kitchen at the VP residence. I mean, Kamala will be in there making delicious Jamaican and Indian food. Meanwhile, Mike Pence doesn't even have a spice cabinet because as he puts it, spice is the anal sex of flavor. And just by the way, isn't it funny that every election, the Democrats are putting together the most diverse tickets that they can? Like, what about a black man who's half Kenyan? Or, or how about a woman who's black and Indian? Meanwhile, the Republicans are over here like, okay, look, I know we've got a white guy on the ticket, but what if we could find a guy who's even whiter? Pack your bags, Billy. We're going to Indiana. So, after graduating from Howard University, Harris returned to California to get her law degree. Throughout the 1990s, she built a solid career as a prosecutor, and then in 2003, she made her move into the public eye. 38-year-old Kamala Harris came out of nowhere, and as she did, she made history. She's the first woman ever to be in San Francisco's district attorney, and she is the first African-American woman in such a job ever in the state of California. Kamala Harris has received praise for creating innovative programs to reduce crime and prevent repeat offenders. Harris is the first female, first African-American, and the first Asian-American attorney general in California. Newsweek calls her one of the most powerful women in America, and she proved it this month when she successfully pushed through a first-of-its-kind homeowner bill of rights. Kamala Harris is already making history. She is called by some observers the female Barack Obama. Okay, can I just put in a request that we stop calling every successful black politician the next Barack Obama, or the female Barack Obama, or the sleeping Barack Obama? Everyone's got their own name, and everyone's got their own story. I mean, like Kamala. Basically, in every job she had, she made history. First black female DA in California, first female and first black attorney general in California, first South Asian senator in all of America which says a lot of great things about her, and also says a lot of not so great things about society. Cause I mean, black women could have been doing these jobs the whole time. You know, it's not like in 2011, black women suddenly got an upgrade that made them fit for office. Oh, hey, they released black woman 3.0. They can be attorney general now. Now, on the one hand, being California's district attorney 20 years ago is what made Kamala Harris a star. But a lot has changed in that 20 years. And some of the things she did at the time are a little less popular with many of today's Democrats. Kamala Harris is defending her record as a prosecutor that some activists see as being pro-law enforcement at the expense of civil rights. Progressives say Harris was not progressive enough, failing to seek justice for the wrongfully imprisoned. Contributing as prosecutor to the mass incarceration of black men. Criticized in a lot of communities for not using the full power of her office to investigate police shootings. Critics are questioning some of her policies, which they say worked against black families, including a crackdown on parents whose children were truant. So I sent a letter out on my letterhead to every parent in the school district. 
this was a little controversial in San Francisco. <laughs> a friend of mine actually called me and he said, Kamala, my wife got the letter. She freaked out. She brought all the kids into the living room, held up the letter, said, if you don't go to school, Kamala's going to put you and me in jail. <laughs> yes, we achieved intended effect. Ah, uh, that's not a good look. Threatening to send parents and their kids to jail for skipping school? I mean, I get that you wanted kids to get an education, but there must have been better ways to keep them in class. Like, why not just tell kids that if they go to school every day, they can get an education that will help them get a good job so that they can advance in society. You know, lie to them. What I really wanna know is, how did this program work? Like, would the parents and kids go to jail together? Like, would they share a jail cell? Would they join the same gang? Would they get matching tattoos? Hello, Will Smith. I've got another idea for a really dope TV show. Hello? Now, to be fair, since Harris was elected to the US Senate in 2016, her views have moved closer to those of modern progressives. She's called for overhauling the prison system, introduced a bail reform bill, and tried to decriminalize weed. But one of the things that has people most excited about seeing Kamala Harris as VP is her long history of grilling Republicans on live national television. California's junior senator is notable both in biography and her two-year tenure in the Senate. Supporters hail Harris's rapid-fire questioning. Senator Harris being possibly the best prosecutor the Senate has ever seen. Can you think of any laws that give government the power to make decisions about uh, the male body? I'm not a... I'm not a thinking of any right now, Senator. Has the president or anyone at the White House ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone? Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh... Yes or no? Senator, I'm very sensitive about time, and I'd like to have a very lengthy conversation and explain that all to you. I, I tried to do that... Can you give me a yes or no uh, answer, In the closed please? briefing. Well, it, it's not a short answer, Senator. The answer it, is... It is either you are willing to well, do that or not. So when Senator, they're, where, when they're instructed... once... Excuse Senator. me, I, I'm asking the questions. Can. I do want you to be on. I'm not able to uh, be rushed this fast. It makes me nervous. And when I get nervous, I start pooping gold coins. But yeah, Kamala Harris doesn't mess around, man. When she's asking you questions, you're gonna answer those questions. I just hope she knows how to turn it off when she's vice president, you know? She doesn't wanna be at a state funeral like, I am so sorry about your husband. Where were you on the night he died? So that's Kamala Harris. Prosecutor, senator, and now VP candidate. And who knows where she'll go from here? I mean, at this rate, one day they might be calling Barack Obama the previous Kamala Harris. Wait, does that make sense? Okay, when we come back, we learn how science can beat coronavirus and how dumb people can beat science. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. While most developed nations have gotten coronavirus under control, America has not. And part of the reason is because the government refuses to implement the advice of doctors and scientists. So recently, our very own Jabuki Young-White talked to one scientist who's getting tired of being ignored. In the midst of a global pandemic, our country has spiraled into chaos. America now accounts for a quarter of the world's cases, hospitals are overwhelmed, and our president has gone full evil. I think I was very unfairly treated. Nobody likes me. Luckily, I know a guy with all the answers that's also working on a vaccine. And you know he's legit because, I mean, look at him. When we last spoke in March, Dr. Hotez was pretty optimistic. 
this will pass. The key right now is practicing that social distancing. Never once dragging politics into this. Until now. We never had a national strategy. We need a president engaged. We need a White House engaged. The federal government couldn't manage this epidemic. They've got to fix this and stop screwing around. That's right. He's back with a vengeance and apparently only has one outfit like Batman. Doc Ho, I got to say, I'm loving this new Dr. Hotez. Yeah, I've sort of become a a ninja Hotez here now that we're seeing... Uh, this uh, incredible decimation of low-income neighborhoods, Hispanic, African-American populations, Native American populations. And on top of that, we're placing school teachers at risk, nurses at risk. The government is unwilling to launch a federal response, and I won't have it. Yes, that's my ninja. You're on TV. You're talking to these people. There's going to be changes made left and right. Uh, well, you know, I, I do see some modest changes. Baby steps. Like what? Like what? What are the modest changes? The president uh, finally admitted that COVID-19 is a vicious illness. So you're telling me that the modest changes are that our president, after hundreds of thousands of deaths, finally recognizes that a deadly disease is deadly. Someone just coughed in my face and just covid me up. That's not really a good idea. Well, then you know what you got to do, doctor. Give me a little taste of that sweet little vaccine. The good news is there's going to be multiple vaccines. Yes. I'm sure that you've heard the Russians have a vaccine now. So what I worry about with the Russian uh, vaccine is I don't see how they did all those quality control, quality assurance, and safety steps and get it out uh, in such a rapid time frame. That's the part that worries me. You cannot keep taking the, on these emotional roller coasters. Well, there are several uh, other vaccines that are showing promise, in, including the uh, AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine that's giving pretty good immune response. Say no more. I'll take that. I will take three boxes of the AstraZeneca Oxycontin, please. Well, you didn't pronounce it quite right. It's AstraZeneca Oxford. La Cienega Foxford. AstraZeneca. Okay, okay, okay. Dr. Hotez, whatever. Just give me your secret stash of Ascot Zendaya Ostrich Farm, please. Well, you're going to have to wait a bit. The vaccines won't be out till the middle of 2021. What kind of Avatar movie bullshit are you pulling? Stop pushing it back. Well, you know, we have to show that these vaccines actually work and that they're safe. And and for that, we need big trials, up to 30,000 patients. Till then, we need people to pay attention to Hotez. The problem is, people don't listen to science and facts, but they do listen to people who lose their shit. Shut up! Do you XYZ? No wire hangers ever! Shut the f up! You gotta get mad, you gotta scare people to change. You're giving me like friendly, like inconvenienced koala teddy bear vibes. We need you looking like Hulk. We need you changing colors on screen. I, I don't know, man. It's I'm okay. Not sure Role play time. I ask, you answer. Dr. Peter Hotes, should we reopen schools? Uh, certainly not in areas where you have a lot of community transmission underway. It wouldn't be safe for uh, teachers or for bus drivers or for uh, the staff and, and for the parents. Okay, that was good. Like the information was there, but maybe um try something like this. Are you f***ing serious? Do you really think that these little monsters are going to be able to not eat each other's boogers? Five minutes into that classroom, they're sticking
sticking their fingers in their ears. And now everybody at the Chuck E. Cheese has frozen. That is in the community. That is in the entire country. Then the whole world has COVID and the aliens are like, okay, now here's our chance. Have you considered trying something like that? That that's a very provocative response uh, and an approach. I, I'm not sure it really works with my style, though. You know I love your style. I copied your glasses. You're a style icon to me. It's just that we have to give you a look that communicates code red. You loosen the bow tie a little bit, rustle the collar, rustle the hair, and then also a little sprinkle of "I'm back from the future" to warn you about your fate before it's too late. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Get into the camera and tell the world what they need to do to get rid of COVID. And don't smile. You're too adorable when you smile. The whole nation needs to be in containment mode now. Okay. Well, uh, back to plan B. Give me some of that hasta la vista box curd, please. You, you gotta wait till 2021. Until then, wear a f***ing mask, people. Thank you so much for that, Jabuki. When we come back, I'll be talking to the host of United Shades of America, W. Kamau Bell. Stay tuned. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with W. Kamau Bell. He has an Emmy Award-winning series on CNN called United Shades of America. So here's my question. If I give you the magic reparations wand, and you can wave it and make it all happen, what do you do? Ooh, build my community more. Okay. I would love to have more mom and pop, yeah. you know? I think about reparations as a future thing. It's almost like you want reparations to actually repair the black communities back to where they were, mm -hmm. where, you know, every black neighborhood had its own downtown section mm -hmm. with black-owned businesses mm -hmm. that, you, that serve the community. Could I chime in? Of course you can, bro. W. Kamal Bell, welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. It's very convenient when I can do it in my house. This is, I like this. Is this, are you, are you, are you used to this new life yet? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very used to this. I can't imagine ever getting on a plane ever again. <laughs> just, I, I feel like once we get the vaccine, I'm good doing everything in my garage. You're just going to stay the way you are. You're just going to be in, in your garage living your life. Yeah, I will Skype into interviews for United Shades of America. Like, yeah, how, what's life like there? Yeah. I've actually got a question for you, and I, you will be honest with me because you're a comedian. I don't trust most people, but I trust comedians. You have kids, you have very young kids. Three, three kids now? Three right? kids, yeah. School is coming back soon. Now, whenever I talk to people, there's obviously people who are like, oh no, I worry my kids, I won't send them back to school. And then there's people, you know, politically, kids must go back, it's time. But you're a parent and you're a comedian, so you'll tell the truth. Are you willing to risk them and send them back to school? Be real with me, Kamal. <laughs> I'm not willing to sacrifice uh, my kids or my health just so that I can have eight hours away from them. No, no. I mean, as much as okay. school is daycare, a lot of it is just like getting your kids to go someplace so you can go like this. Whoo! It's not that serious. And I don't. So yeah. are you are you teaching them then? I mean, I, I'm. I'm they're learning some things. <laughs> <laughs> They're learning about podcasting and they're learning about uh, how to do, how to adjust light for TV appearances. We're learning some things. I feel like you, you, you've just made your kids child laborers. That's all you've done. You're just giving them like technical skills. Yeah. That's like all the crew for your show is just gonna be like, my child, my child, my child, my child, my child. Today, today um, like, Zoom calls work. Yeah, I mean, but also 
you know, I'm in a privileged place. My wife's in a privileged place where our kids are going to learn because we're go we are going to teach them, and we have conversations in the house. Right, right, right. Talk about George Floyd. They know about the coronavirus. I'm a good parent, so I bought those those summer books you get for kids where they can like think they're not learning, but they are learning. So they're going to learn. I'm more worried about their like mental growth and how they're being affected by this. Let's talk about the show, United Shades. Um, your show is an Emmy-winning show, and I think that's for a reason. It takes a different look at America, the issues that we think we know so well. One of my favorite episodes was about the gig economy. You know, we've become so addicted to the gig economy. You know, we want our Uber, we want our Postmates, we want our food delivered, we want our things picked up, our garden, we, but we don't know how it works and we don't know what it's like for the people in it. You took a job in this world. You, you basically went to work for real in the gig economy. Is it sustainable or is it like a very, like is it, is it just above being like horrible labor? Well, I think the advertisements say things like it's, to, it's a way to make extra money so you can make some extra cash. But for most people, it's how they make money, you know, because their full-time job doesn't pay them enough to pay all their bills and take care of their right. family. So they have to get a gig economy job to supplement that. And the gig economy jobs, you don't have worker protections. You don't have benefits. You know, if you're an Uber driver, you're bringing down the value of your car every time you pick somebody up. And Uber's not, Uber's not covering for that. So that, that's the problem with the gig economy. I think those of us who use it, it works for us. But if you're being used by it, it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah, man, I think, I think that's one of the things that not just myself, but so many other people love about your show is that you, it's, it's topics that we know well, and then you, you tackle it from an angle and you talk to people who we wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, hear from. Yeah. You know, so it's the gig economy. You're talking about farming in America. Um, you spend a lot of time talking about racism. You love talking about racism. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> um, I mean, I'd like to talk more about Bruce Lee, but apparently that's not what my job is, so yeah. Um, you, you have an episode coming up that I think is really going to be fun or, or illuminating at least. Yes. And it's about reparations. Yes. Now, reparations seems like one of those topics that only has just, I mean, there's two possible forks in the road. It is no reparations and you give the black people a lot of money and that's that. Like, but you, you, you've gone out and you started talking to people and you, you met with, uh, the, def uh, the, the descendants of slaves. You met with people who are pushing for different types of reparations. Have you learned anything new that we don't know about in our normal discussions? I mean, I think one thing's for sure. If you, we have this idea that every black person wants reparation. First of all, that's not true. Many black people are not for reparations. But even amongst the black people who support reparations, they don't all want it the same way. And so I think that's the problem is that when the subject of reparations comes up, mostly it gets shut down by people who are like, nope, 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 I'm a white person. I can't even stomach even thinking about that. But in actuality, if we have the discussion, a lot of black people think differently about reparations. But to quote uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, if it doesn't come with cash, that's racist. It was interesting to me to see... Um you know, some of the people saying they would use reparations to build better schools in their neighborhood, to build better facilities. To build, and I was like, you're just talking about like the government's job right now. It, it's insane that like some black people are like, I want the government to give me money so that I can just do what the government hasn't basically done. Well, yeah, I think that's a lot of people we talked to in New Orleans were like, we would just like our neighborhoods to be back where they were in like the 50s and 60s, back when black neighborhoods have their own little downtown district and black people own their own businesses. They're like, we don't even, we're not looking for the future. Just take us back to the distant, to the recent past. Let me ask you this. You, um, you talk to some people who, and in, in, without your show, I don't think you'd ever talk to, you know, like whether it's like people who are in the clan, used to be in the clan, very racist, very homophobic, very anything. And 
I, I, I'm not gonna lie, you, you seem to get along well with them as human beings. Like, you, you, you seem to, like, and you are very black as yes. Kamal Bell. I mean, like, you, yes. you know what I'm saying? It's not like you, you're, you're sneaking in. You're a black I'm person. I'm white when I see Exactly. Black man. You come in as a black man, they see you as a black man, and then you guys seem to also, get along. I'm huge. I'm huge. <laughs> Nine feet tall, 400 pounds. So I wanted to know, have you maintained any type of friendship with these people post the show? Or, or has it just like, are you just like, do, like, do you get to know them as human beings or do, are they just cordial to you as Kamau Bell as an individual and they're not now like cool with black people? Yeah, I mean, certainly it's not, I always say it's not American History X where I do laundry with them for an hour and then they come out and go, man, I shouldn't be a racist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not quite that easy, if only it was. But I do think people go, oh, this is not what I expected. I see this guy differently. Like, the, I did get some emails after I talked to the clan. Like, they were sort of, like, excited for the show to come out. I don't encourage those types of friendships. <laughs> but I have stayed in touch with people, and there are people that I see. Like, we did an episode about uh, guns, and the guy who sold me the gun, uh, we may think differently on guns, but we've, like, stayed in touch, and he keeps watching the show. And so I feel like it's not going to happen in one day or one, one conversation. The thing right, I understand right, about right. this whole racism discussion is that in the whole ending of racism, it's a long struggle and it takes time. I don't know if you know anything about that being from South Africa. No, 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 we, we, we're all good over there. Okay. Um, do, you, do, you, do you think that that's part of the solution? Which, I, I mean, it's not feasible because I don't think there are enough black people to enact this, but do you think part of the solution is having more conversations than we currently have in society? Because right now we live in a binary society, especially online. But do you think from your experience that some of it, you know, could be helped by the conversations? Or is that just like a, that's just like a hopeful mythical world that we sometimes dream of? I mean, some of it can be helped by the conversation, but if those people don't go into the voting booth and <laughs> vote based on what they learned in the conversation, then it's just a conversation. So I think sometimes we over-prioritize the conversation. Like me and that racist had a conversation. That felt good but it's actually like about how people evolve over time. And I think that's the conversation right. part of that. Um, I know I gotta let you go. You gotta go back to teaching and, and being- You gotta go back over there. <laughs> <laughs> What's your, if you have to make another season of your show now, what would you make the show about? I mean, I think the, every season, we sort of feel like there's one theme that sort of is going through the season. And this past season, it really felt like American capitalism is not doing well by Americans. And I feel like the pandemic has just proven that again. And right, right now, I think Definitely. next season is going to be about how do we dismantle these systems? I think if you talk about abolish the police or defund the police, all those things are about like the system is actually what's broken. It's not individuals in the system so much. We have to, we have to take on the system. So no big deal. I'm just going to take down the American system of capitalism and government next season on United Shades. Amen. Hopefully I'll win if you're getting emails from the clan, anything is possible, my friend. Uh, stay safe out there. Uh, say hi to your family. Enjoy them. And uh, I hope to see you soon. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for being on. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, I wanted to remind you that there are a lot of groups out there right now who are working to protect and advance voting rights for the elections in November. Now, one of these organizations is the Alliance for Youth Organizing, which is a national network of local youth-led organizations mobilizing to get people to vote. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wash your hands, and remember, if your iPhone doesn't recognize your face, well, maybe it's time to upgrade your face. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. 
follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 